We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Fitzy and Hart, Fenway Park, on a beautiful Sunday morning when... Fitzy and Hart, Fenway Park. That's true. Fitzy and Hot, Fenway Park, with no Fitzy because he's on vacation. That voice you heard was Kyrie Thompson, not only of WEEI.com in terms of Patriots coverage, but first in Foxborough, one of your new podcasts in the Odyssey family. Get the Odyssey app to listen to all the podcasts. First in Foxborough, six rings and football things. There's a whole podcast world out there for your pleasure, and we are happy to bring those to you because you know what? You need a little happiness right now because I get the sense that Red Sox Nation not happy. Based on the calls we are getting this morning, Red Sox lose last night to the New York Yankees 3-2. to One night after they had their nice comeback effort, extra inning, walk-off, what-up, fam, 3-2 win, they lose 3-2, uh, small ball style, a safety squeeze in the ninth inning, and then their stars come to the plate with an opportunity to be clutch. They failed. Devers, Bogarts came up short. And now it seems some people want to run them out of town, but not everybody. 617-779-7937. We go back to the phone lines, and we'll go to Mike in Framingham, who doesn't necessarily blame the players for what's going on, but he looks a little higher in the organization. Mike, what's up? Okay, so I haven't given up on the Red Sox, okay. but, I want to make, but I have given up on Bloom, and they should fire Bloom. The whole problem started before the season began. He gave a $17 million player $23 million instead of going after a first baseman. He traded Renfro. He made a low ball offer to Bogarts and a low ball offer to Devitz, and that's where this whole thing started. And the bottom line is if you want to improve the Red Sox, get rid of high and blue. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you for calling, Mike. Appreciate the uh, the honesty, the frankness. Uh I would say the loyalty to the team, not necessarily to High and Bloom right now, who is running the team. And I think this is a um, an interesting time for High and Bloom because I do think the bulk of Red Sox Nation is is not necessarily supportive of the guy who's running the organization right now. And in in some sense, it almost feels like there are people that are hoping, asking, waiting for John Henry to step in to change course because he has changed course so many times while owning the Boston Red Sox, and done so successfully. Found ways to win World Series here in Boston. Yep. Probably doesn't get the respect he deserves based on the rings he has brought to a place that had no rings for 86 years. And is it too soon to pull the plug on High and Bloom? I, I would say yes. I mean, you hired the guy. You, you gave him the keys to the organization. You don't necessarily like what you're seeing right now. You liked what you saw last year, even when he was criticized, right? I believe our own Lou Merloni had to apologize, go back on the way he handled the trade deadline, apologize when that team made a run toward a potential World Series in the postseason. But it just feels too early to pull the plug. It hasn't been that disastrous where you're like, nope, the guy. No, they're not. They're not abjectly horrible. I think they are the, in last place. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
well, well, you know the interesting thing about where they are right now is that they're kind of middle in the pack. Like e- even though oh, yeah. they are, even though they're last in the AL East, they're middle of the pack in terms of overall record. So right. it's not like they're anywhere near a top ten pick, which is well, I guess in a way that's kind of unfortunate because if you're going to be bad, you almost want to just suck completely so that you can get a get a high draft pick. But the interesting thing about it too is, you know, we mentioned playing guys out of position, but it's okay as long as they do other great things, which is why we're so upset about Kyle Schwarber. Like that guy would have fit that bill perfectly. You could have, you, you had growing pains with him at first base or wherever you put him. He wasn't a great defensive player, but man, did he help out your lineup in just in terms of getting on base, the home runs he was hitting. I feel like to, to kind of think about that, the fact that they passed on bringing him back and, and having him play first base. And they were just like, you know what? Nope. We're going to keep going with the, 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 the cheaper, Thing with with Dahlbeck because he came on so strong at the end of the year like yep. that, that offers us a little bit of hope and they decided to go for that and they were wrong because Bobby Dahlbeck ended up being basically what he was you know the first part of the year that wasn't a fluke that's kind of what he is as a player I feel like now it I, I think it is too soon to pull the plug completely on Bloom but here's the deal you better see what Tristan Cassis has got he better break he better break camp with this team and he better fill in at first base and be good because otherwise I feel like that, like that's what you were banking on. Wasn't it right? Isn't that kind of low key what you were banking on? And and if that's wrong, then you might've just screwed the pooch completely. In addition to all the things that you might lose and, and how different this roster might look. If we, if you don't have hope from your top prospects, that's bad. And I, and I feel like at that point, if it's rough, you might have to explore that after next season. And, and then the the just sort of continue the Schwarber line of talk. So he gets twenty million dollars a year, eighty million dollar contract. You don't that that doesn't fit your needs. Where I still say, even if it had been a weird fit this year, he's your DH. JD's leaving. He's your DH. He slides right into that role. You know he's comfortable at Fenway Park. You know he can hit in Boston and play in Boston. We have that discussion all the time about guys that can or can't play here. And then you decide to bring in Story, who's making more than that, $23 million a year, a bigger contract, which feels like it's pushing one of your other players out rather than sliding into a void you may have had. There was just this whole almost nonsensical nature to the offseason. By the way, Dave Dombrowski signs uh, Schwarber to Philadelphia uh, Phillies. (laughs) They have Bryce Harper on the books. Right, yeah. 330. 330 player. Didn't matter to them. Yeah. Well, first of all, Schwarber and, and, and all, for also, eighty million, like that's, that's a nothing that, that's contract. A, that is a drop in the bucket. That there's there's no there's no reason to think that was cost prohibitive. And I would a thousand percent have taken Kyle Schwarber at eighty million dollars yeah. over Trevor Story and at one forty. Schwarber has said he said Every it. To, time. He said it to Rob Bradford. Every time he said, "No one really talked to me about my contract. Like no one from the Red Sox really reached out to me." Well, this gets back to what I asked you yesterday. I still feel like he doesn't value the home run. Bloom. Uh, I still, I still question what he thinks of home run hitters and power hitters. I like that's I the just, thing is like I don't, I don't really know because like he does, like I said yesterday, he's a guy that does care about like those analytics and everything. And like right. if you look at the players that he brings in, and this is trending this way for baseball where guys are caring about their, you know, the exit velocity or the launch, well, sure, angle, launch angle and everything. The whole thing. I mean, power. Bobby Dahlbeck changed his swing right. to try and get paid to do that. So, so maybe that's it. Maybe he just over believed in Bobby Dahlbeck that what he was at the end well, of yeah, the year. Well, yeah, no, I, no, he definitely that, that, That's exactly him. what I'm saying. Well, that, but that's, you screwed up. Yeah, like, you're wrong. I can do that. I, I'll give you the classic example. You may not know this name, Kyrie Coop. You may, Phil Plantier did it. Oh, I yeah. fell in love with Phil Plantier. He hit bombs. 
in August and September. He was at Yankee Stadium. He and Kevin Moss were hitting like going at it. The, and I was so excited about Phil Plantier because it was one of those, well, if he hits 12 in a month, how many, he's going to hit 50 over the course. No, he's not because he's not that good. Yep. And you need to know. I wasn't paid as a kid to know that. Hyam Bloom is paid to know to whether know Bobby Dahlbeck was playing above his level, at his level, or is just going to fall off the map. And you know, I can remember talking to Will Fleming here at the cask down the street on opening day at Fenway, and it was like, yeah, Bobby Dahlbeck, the way he finishes, this is a 35-home run guy. No, it isn't. I mean, Franchi Cordero, guy that actually, when he hits a home run, oh, it's, I mean, awesome. it's going far. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Beer it's league, just it's baby. far and few between. Beer league, baby. Rob Deere, let's hit a bomb and then strike out. By the way, it painful to see Ben Attendee play the way he did last night. He's back. Knowing that Franchi Cordero is down in AAA. Yeah, 100%. You know what's so. interesting is, is uh, I feel like when you look at why they might not have re-signed Schwarber, I, I feel like maybe what they're trying to avoid is like the three true outcomes kind of hitter. Because in a way, Schwar- I mean, Schwarber is kind of embodying that this year. He's got 34 homers and 71 RBI, right? Like the, those numbers are great. He's got a he's striking out at almost a 31% clip. But that's that's baseball now. Yeah, like baseball. Aaron, exactly. Aaron Judge. I'll take John that Carlos over. Stanton. I'll take that over Bobby Dahlbeck. Well, yeah, no, I mean, he doesn't have the Bobby Dahlbeck offers the you offers you nothing. Yeah, but it, but it, even in and obviously he walks a lot, meaning Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. So it's like I, I wonder if like that's kind of like the okay, we want something a little bit more well rounded than that. But I, I just I, once again I, I go back to the value he had to the team and the value that his contract ended up being. Don't tell me that couldn't have been part of your plans. It just made me think that again. It was like, okay, yeah, we'll try this little rental thing out for now. Oh, it's a good fit. That's wonderful. But he wasn't really in the long-term plans. Bobby Dahlbeck, right, was, was yeah, oh, yeah, look, look at the way he finished the season. That's what we want to see. It, it, again, it, they were lulled into this idea that, oh, great, our plan worked. It was a little bit ahead of schedule. Let's just run that back instead of going in all in because, hey, maybe we'll get lucky again without having to go in and it's because cir- they it, don't it, want to. It circles they back to that conversation to. that we had yesterday of like, you know, were they willing to punt on the season? Like it was Certainly just, were, they, like were they going in on this? It's like, hey, if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, oh, well, it does a five-year well, plan. I'll talk to you in two more years or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That, that's not Boston. That's why we are taking all these calls of frustrated fans here at Fenway Park. 617-779-7937. Up next, we go to Jason in the vineyard who thinks we are missing the mark with some of our criticism. Jason, what are you, where, where should we be placing some criticism? All right. Let me just say this. Kyle Bloom, he's no Theo Epstein. <laughs> Martinez, he's no Ortiz. Ben Attendee, Dahlback is no Ben Attendee. Aren't you tired of seeing your good players get traded off and showing up spit-shined on, in a Yankee uniform? How about this? Two players on the team, Story and Martinez. Big money, no results. Get rid of them. I'll tell you, Martinez, I'm tired of hearing about mechanics. He's so tied up in his mechanics, he's got 9, 10 home runs. I mean, come on, this guy was supposed to be 30, 35 home runs. Um, story, he just can't stay on the field. So what good is a great guy if he can't play? That's my comment. <laughs> All right, thanks for the call, Jason. Appreciate the uh, the perspective. Now, now, I think those guys are two different guys at two different points in their Red Sox career, their baseball career, quite frankly. We were just talking in the break. J.D. Martinez is, is, how did Brady used to say, closer to the end than he is to the beginning, right? Like he is not the hitter he once was. He has clearly lost some of the pop. And, and now he's not even hitting for average. He's in, you know, a bit of a slump. So I, I, I don't necessarily put a lot of, we knew he was gone, right? We knew he, yeah, mm-hmm. 
That was it. Most people thought he was gone a couple years ago. He could have opted out. He didn't. But now in this world where there's all these DHs available or teams need DHs, he, he was gone. His time with the Red Sox was done. The story criticism, I do think they overpaid story. I think he's a good player, not a great player. Um, to get north of $20 million a year, to bring him into a new city, to see if it'll work. The injuries are the injuries, whatever. I, I, I'm not going to necessarily criticize a guy for injuries uh, at this point. He hasn't reached the Chris Sale point where it's just yeah. so redundant and laughable yeah. or sad. Um, so the story issue to me is more about the need and the value, right? The need to, did you need a shortstop slash second baseman making north of $20 million a year to muddy the water with your guy Bogarts and sort of that whole mix uh so that that's where I think that be maybe money misspent but certainly John Henry you know in that story with Alex Spear in the Globe a while ago was talking about oh you don't think that's a big contract no I think that's a big contract I just don't love that big contract it's not a superstar contract it's a big contract to a good defensive player an all-star caliber player but not a guy that I think you can build a lineup around I think Story is a complimentary player. Yep. He is not mm -hmm. a center of the order, you build around Trevor Story kind of guy. So Agreed. Interesting interesting uh, perspective from the vineyard on, on J.D. Martinez and Trevor Story and what they represent to this team. But both, in their different ways, are disappointments right now. They are certainly disappointments. So we're talking disappointing Red Sox, but when we get back from the break, we're actually going to switch gears for just a little bit to break it up with some optimistic Patriots talk, maybe, maybe. some Possibly. pessimistic Patriots talk. We'll see. Doug, Very likely. <laughs> Doug, Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus, formerly of Nesson, a guy who knows a lot about the Patriots from his years covering the team and now has a bit more of a national perspective to add to that, to lend to that. Also, the statistical perspective. So I'm, I'm really interested in getting Doug's views on the Patriots, the offense, where it's going, where this team may land in sort of the spectrum of NFL teams this year. So after we get back from the trending, it'll be Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus joining us. This is Fitzy and Hart from Fenway Park. I'm Andy Hart. He's Kyrie Thompson and he's about to trend. Your home of the Sox. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending is brought to you by New England Ford. Tune into WEEI this Red Sox season as they broadcast live from our Ford Clubhouse Fenway studio, where we are right now. Come say hi, everybody, before Red Sox weekend home games. Brought to you by your New England Ford dealers and Ford Trucks, official truck of the Red Sox. Red Sox fell to the Yankees 3-2 last night, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa had his own little, uh, you know, one-man band going on and beat the Red Sox all by himself with a two-run homer in the fifth and a bunt in the ninth to lead to all three runs scored for the Yankees. Sox wrap up this three-game series with the Yankees tonight. First pitch is set for 7 p.m. with Michael Waka expected to start. You can, of course... Catch the Red Sox pregame show with Brian Barrett, who's been getting mad at us over here. He'll be on at 6 p.m. before the game right here on the Shaws and Star Market Red Sox, WEEI Red Sox Network. My bad. Around the NFL, the injury to Jets quarterback Zach Wilson's knee appears to not be as serious as we initially thought, with reports stating it's believed to be a bone bruise as well as a torn meniscus. Ian Rappaport reported that Wilson is expected to have surgery, and the Jets are hoping to have him ready to go for week one of the season. And finally, the New England Revolution picked up a 1-0 victory over the D.C. United. Carlos Gill made an excellent shot get his fifth goal of the season as the revolution moved to eight wins nine draws seven losses on the season that is what's trending on weei and at weei.com selling a little 
or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Fitzy and Hart on a Sunday afternoon from Fenway Park. We are going to pause our... Uh, turmoil and the calls right now on the Boston Red Sox and switch gears for just a few minutes to talk Patriots. Obviously, Patriots had their preseason opener Thursday night at Gillette Stadium. They fell on a field goal in the final second, Ah. 23-21, to the New York football Giants. But I'm not sure the outcome was what anybody really wanted to talk about. But we do have plenty of things to talk about with Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus joining us now on the Harbor One Hotline to talk not just Patriots, but all things NFL. Doug, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Great. So are you ready to talk about the uh, Patriots play calling? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. 100%. Okay. So uh, as a guy that has an extensive background with the Patriots, but now has branched out on a national level more around the NFL, um, do you think it is ridiculous that it appears Matt Patricia is going to call plays for the Patriots this year? And did you think it was ridiculous at all that the process that Bill Belichick is going through included both Patricia and Joe Judge calling plays on Thursday night? I Yeah, I mean, ridiculous is a strong <laughs> word, but uh, I, bizarre, strange, uh, any other, you know, adjective. Strange. It's, Regular strange. Yeah, a, a little cool strange. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think that if any other head coach in the NFL went through this process, he could potentially be fired. You know, you're you're heading into the season without an offensive coordinator, without a defensive coordinator. Uh, you had to help out on defense for the last few years because it seemed like Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick weren't ready to run the show. Now you're leaving the defense completely to them because you have to look over the offense because you've got a defensive-minded former head coach and a special teams-minded former head coach running the offense. 
I mean, yeah, I think that you would have liked to see one guy calling the plays the entire game on Thursday. I also think that you'd probably like to see the starters out there on Thursday. Uh, I think you'd also probably like to see a few more practices this summer, taking out the entire weekend. <laughs> I thought was a little weird, uh, given the way that the offense functioned when we were watching them last week. And now and they haven't had a, a full steam ahead practice since last Monday, because even Tuesday's session was a little low energy. So, I mean, yeah, I'm just waiting to see how this all looks during the regular season, but pretty much the entire way that they've gone about changing the offense this offseason has been pretty bizarre. It's interesting. So uh, on the first in Foxborough podcast, shameless plug, nice. uh, 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 I, had, I had Doug on, I had you on, and you talked about the possibility of, okay, even though Matt Patricia is listed as the offensive line coach, that maybe Billy Yates will be the guy on, on Sundays, you know, make, handling the adjustments. And it sure has looked that way at a lot of points during practice where Matt Patricia would leave seven-on-seven seven or leave the offensive line groups and go run seven-on-sevens and, and go read off the play sheet and call the plays over there and leave the offensive line to somebody else. But then on Thursday, Billy Yates, at least according to some of the eyes up in the press box, was kind of hard to find, and Matt Patricia was around talking to the offensive line. Do you think that it will eventually kind of normalize into being what it was where, okay, maybe it is Billy Yates doing this, or are they actually going to try something where Matt Patricia is everywhere on game day, and how could that possibly work? I'm curious to see how this looks in the second and third preseason game because it certainly seems like they're using these preseason games to experiment with different methods and different coaching constructs, and I don't think it made a lot of sense to have Billy Yates, whether he was you know, in the booth or wherever he was in the first half, not around if Matt Patricia is going to be your play caller. It, that in itself, having Billy Yates away from, from the offensive line, Matt Patricia calling plays and having to go talk to the offensive line, then come back, talk to the quarterback, that feels like it, it, it can't exist. That can't happen in the NFL. So maybe that was just an experiment that he was trying, and now for game two we'll see everything flipped on its head, but I did think it was interesting that Joe Judge did at least seem to call plays during the second half. So it looks like they're at least, you know, trying that out, considering that that could be a possibility. I also think that it's possible that Bill Belichick could still wind up being the guy who plays calls, and you don't really have to worry about this whole experiment with Matt Patricia being the play caller, but also the offensive line coach. But, I mean, yeah, in theory, you'd like your offensive play caller to be the guy who talks to quarterbacks. Maybe they're also afraid that that just looks way too much like an offensive coordinator at that point, and then you might have to deal with you know, some sort of issue with the Lions about how they're still paying Matt Patricia. Mm, so a couple of bananas in the tailpipe. A couple bananas, yes. The, uh, the, the second layer, Doug, to this discussion about the Patriots offense this offseason isn't just who's going to call plays, but what plays are going to be called. And this new offense, as Mac Jones has called it, or the streamlined offense. Have you gotten a real handle on where you think, because on Thursday night they didn't really do a lot of the things that it seems like they want to do or they're changing to do. Do you have a handle yet on where you think this offense will end up this year? What type of offense it will be that we'll, we'll see Mac Jones running? Yeah, I've got a better sense of it, and this is actually a good time for me to plug. I'm, I'm actually writing a pretty extensive piece on the Patriots offense uh, tomorrow morning that's dropping at pff.com. But 
I, it does seem like basically I reached out to someone and said like, is this whole new offense thing overblown? Is it basically just throwing in some new schematics? Person said, eh, there's definitely a shift uh, to some new elements. There's going to be a blend of you know this new L- this new offense with new schematics. Uh, and some of the things that they were doing in the old offense, I think that we heard kind of similar things from Brian Hoyer last week. But I, it's, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily wholesale changes. It's not a completely new offense. But they're, they're definitely throwing a lot of new things in there. I think that that's where you're seeing issues in practice is that um, – they're trying to install so many new elements in such a short period of time. And, you know, that's where kind of the, the NFL CBA comes into play as well, because there's really not that many practices for these guys to be running at this point. Um, and there's also one less preseason game to experiment with all of these things. So it's that, that hinders, I think, the ability to install a completely new offense during one offseason. So with that, I mean – so we watched Monday, and obviously Monday was, was an abject disaster, at least for the first-team offense in, in, in a lot of ways. And, I mean, we've, we've now heard little bits of, of uh, frustration, I guess, from certain players. There was obviously that, that meeting that happened. You know, David Andrews was, was leading it. Do you have a sense of how the change is going over in the building? Is it really so much like, okay, yes, like this is a process. This is, this is how, how it is. There are going to be growing pains. Or might there be some questions about why don't we just go back to what we know we've been able to do for the past couple of years? Do you have any idea of that? I think that there were those questions early in the spring when no one really seemed to know what was going on. They, you know, there, there were no plays installed. I think that there was a lot of confusion early on in the spring uh, with players on the team. At this point, it does feel like there's a better buy-in and that, okay, this is what we're doing, so we've got to go full steam ahead with it. Um, and, and I think that there was even some, you know, some questions with some of the top leaders on the team early on in the spring about how this was all going to look. But like I said, it, it does seem like players are buying in at this point. They essentially have no choice <laughs> unless they're going to, you know, demand a trade or something like that. But yeah, it does seem like morale has at least improved now at this point, even though, as we've seen in practice, the offense has still been a bit of a mess. I, I did think it was interesting, you know, on Tuesday, like I said before, the, it felt like the energy in that practice was a little bit lower. They were pre- preparing for a preseason game. Uh, it wasn't, you know, a, a 100%, you know, full go practice. But it did seem like even the small improvements that the offense made, you know, it, it, players were were optimistic about it. So maybe maybe that's all you need. Maybe it's just these these small changes that the players have talked about. But very curious to see how it looks, especially this week against the Panthers in joint practices. One of the things I've found interesting this summer, Doug, watching practice is that while the general takeaway is the offense is struggling, they're scuffling, all of these things, there's been some individual performances and and stretches of performances by receivers, running backs that have actually looked good, have been optimistic. You know, Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton, Ramondre Stevenson. And, And one guy in particular I think has looked good at times is a guy you've tweeted a little bit about, and that's Nelson Aguilar, who... We know had a disappointing first year in New England last year. He makes a lot of money. I think he's the fifth highest paid receiver in football uh, right now. And you tweeted about the potential of a trade, could be a guy that maybe be the odd man out. Do you think there is any chance, given his salary and the way it might need to be kind of negotiated if there would be some salary eaten by the Patriots or whatever, do you think there's a legitimate chance that Nelson Aguilar could be a trade option for them this August? 
Yeah, I do think that they probably have to do some maneuvering there, though, because uh, I had I had heard like a week or two ago, it, someone someone reached out to me basically that, that made it seem like a trade was going to be imminent. So then I, I reached out to a bunch of people, and that didn't wind up being true. But it, mm-hmm. it, I had heard since that point that you know if there is an odd man out in that veteran wide receiver group it would most likely be Nelson Aguilar. But when I was kind of reaching out to people about whether this trade was imminent or not, I reached out to a team that that admitted to me that they need wide receivers. They're like, oh, let me look into this. And he was like, oh, a $9 million salary? No, thanks. Like, no one's going to trade for that. <laughs> so I do think uh, I, I do think that they'd probably have to, you know, do like a, a, a signing bonus type deal to, to lower that salary before they'd have to trade him. Um, at that point, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess at that point you could pick which team he was going to. You could maybe get something in return. But I mean, him as a player is someone that teams would be interested in. Him as a player on his current salary, I don't think is a player that many teams would be interested in trading for. Um, and it's it just, I, I don't know. I mean, clearly the Patriots paid him a little bit too much uh, for, for, you know, the reasons why I'm stating that people wouldn't want to trade for him on that contract. He wasn't great last season, but the returns have been positive early in camp. And I've even heard that from within the team that some of these changes to the offense have benefited Nelson Aguilar and they've benefited Johnny Smith, uh, who are two players who did struggle in their first season with the Patriots. And I, I think that, you know, that can exist in two different forms. Like he can be impressing, but he could also still wind up being the odd man out because they do have too many of those veteran high-priced receivers in Aguilar, Bourne, uh, Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, that if Tyquan Thornton becomes a legitimate possibility that he can actually play on Sundays early in the season, then you probably don't need to go four deep with guys who are making four, five, six, seven, eight, nine million dollars uh, in 2022. Especially when you have Tyquan Thornton, who I think has been a little bit better than a lot of us expected and you know, might end up seeing some first-team reps, as you wrote in that article talking about the Aguilar trade. It's funny, though, when you were talking about, uh, oh, yeah, one team said that they really need receivers. Oh, so you talked to Ryan Poles. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, the, the, la- no, the last no, New England... No. The, the last New England trade didn't work out for my Bears so so well. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that happens. But another, another young player that's been very interesting is Marcus Jones. And he did not play on Thursday, but he has been racking up some reps with the starters. Do you have an idea of how do they see him right now, especially with kind of the news that – or what we've seen in practice where Jonathan Jones, who's normally the slot guy, has started to bump out a little bit to outside corner – is there a sense that perhaps the best three cornerbacks on this team might be Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones, and Marcus Jones? And we could we could potentially see that lineup getting rolled out? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. And um, I think that, you know, Mike Reese of ESPN wrote about that this morning saying, or maybe it was a tweet that he had, something like that, that he thought maybe that could have been an eye towards week one against the Dolphins where they roll out the, this kind of smaller cornerback group and, and have Jonathan Jones on the outside. But, I mean, the fact that we're already seeing it in practice, the fact that we're a month out from the season, uh, I, it's certainly possible that they're just preparing for week one. But I also do think there's a genuine possibility that that is the best group of cornerbacks on this team because, you know, I, I thought that Terrence Mitchell was, was decent, pretty good in that game uh, against the Giants on Thursday. We certainly had him graded well. He had a 92.1. Um, you know, the forced fumble was really impressive. But, you know, you don't really 
need a guy like Terrence Mitchell to be a starter based on what he's done throughout the course of his career. Malcolm Butler has been kind of up and down in practice. I don't think either one of those guys has set themselves enough uh, apart enough at this point to be a starter. So if Marcus Jones has really been impressing them in the slot, and I've been impressed with what I've seen from him so far, then I think it's at least worth experimenting having Jonathan Jones play outside because it worked last year and having a guy who traditionally played inside and Jalen Mills playing outside. So you put those two guys on the outside, you've got a, a high potential player like Marcus Jones playing in the slot. I think that at least potential-wise, that's probably the best three cornerbacks on the team. We'll have to see how Marcus Jones responds in the preseason throughout the rest of camp. Um, but I think that, that is, if you're going kind of zone-heavy again this year as well, and I think that that definitely could work. And the Patriots have enough good safeties where I think that they could go with kind of a, a too high look, uh, go, go with more of a cover two scheme. And then the size issue with Jonathan Jones playing on the outside won't matter quite as much if he doesn't have to cover those big wide receivers downfield. Talking to Doug Kide of uh, Pro Football Focus about the Patriots, the preseason, and all the uh, potential for this team. And I want to stick with the cornerback position because I posed something on weei.com this morning that Malcolm Butler could actually be maybe a surprise cut. We always look for those this time of year in every NFL camp who's going to be the surprise cut, the cut you didn't see coming. And Butler started against the Giants when most frontline players did not. Is is coming back from a year away from the NFL of retirement. He's 32. Um, do you think there's a chance that Malcolm Butler is not on this football team come September? Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance. And, you know, it, looking at that cornerback group, You've, you've probably got to think that Justin Bethel, just based on special teams prowess, is a lock. Uh, you've got to think that Jack Jones and Marcus Jones, the fact that both those guys were third round, uh, you know, early round picks, those guys are locks. Jonathan Jones, definitely a lock. Jalen Mills, definitely a lock. So that's five cornerbacks right there. You could enter the season with those five cornerbacks. So anyone else who gets added on top of that, whether it's Sean Wade, who I think showed some potential, uh, Malcolm Butler, Terrence Mitchell, Joan Williams, those are kind of, you know, it's gravy at that point to be able to keep a sixth cornerback. So if the top guys who have the potential to be that sixth cornerback are Terrence Mitchell and Malcolm Butler, I think that based on the way that Mitchell played on Thursday, he'd probably be the favorite right now, and Malcolm Butler would probably get left off. We'll see what happens throughout the rest of the summer. These guys could get injured. Who knows? Maybe you see uh, one of these rookies get the fox for a flu and wind up on injured reserve for the start of the season. Uh, but as I look at it right now, I would only really expect one of Butler or Mitchell to be on the roster, and, and Butler would definitely be the choice at this point to be the surprise cut. Isn't, yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's something we've been kicking around a little bit. Uh, kind of la- one of the last questions before we, we let you go. Um, so I'm looking at the, the Patriots cap space right now. They have about four point, or 5.4, almost $5.5 million dollars. Do you see another move coming potentially where maybe a guy gets extended or, or maybe they are looking to make a trade in order to free up a little bit more cap space so that they can have money to operate and potentially sign guys down the line or just have a little bit of, of flexibility? Is there anybody who, who might be in line to uh, maybe get some new paper, like more specifically? It's a, it's a tough question. I mean, I, there's a few different ways that they could go about that. Um, you know, Kendrick Bourne would open up two and a half million dollars. Jonathan Jones would open up three and a half million dollars. 
the Matt Judon would open up a lot if he was a uh, restructured or extended, but I'm not really sure if I see that happening. I think it's probably, I, I think it's probably one of those wide receivers that winds up either getting traded or getting cut or something happening there because with pretty much all of them, they would open up a, a decent chunk of cap space. If Nelson Aguilar was traded, he would open about up at about nine million dollars worth of cap space. If he was cut, he opened about open up about five million dollars worth of cap space. Uh, I don't really necessarily see uh, Bourne, Myers, or Parker getting traded or released. But if they got traded or, or released, also it would open up at least four million dollars. So I think that you know you don't necessarily with a guy like Aguilar, you don't necessarily want to take on a nine million dollar dead cap hit, but. Cutting him would open up about $5 million worth of cap space, and that would allow them to exist with their, with their cap construct uh, during the course of the season. So, I, like I said, I think that that's probably the, the most logical way to go about that. But certainly possible that there would be some sort of extension or, or restructure. I'm just not seeing an obvious move on the roster right now. He is Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus, and like the rest of us, he at the very least sees the Patriots' offensive coaching staff and play calling as, quote, bizarre doug i appreciate the honesty <laughs> and uh have a uh, have a good rest of training camp i'm sure we uh we'll see you around foxborough soon absolutely i'll see you guys yep, thanks, thanks doug. doug so yeah the uh the bizarre i think that's probably fair and i do agree with his assertion that any other coach that were doing this yeah. would fall under much more criticism but the reality is as i asked you yesterday the 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 net below this is bill belichick it's yeah. the safety net if you fall off the high wire Maybe Bill calls plays. Maybe Bill pulls the plug on whatever change. Like, you trust Bill, and you should. I know in Bill we trust is sort of a, a weird phrase around it's here. It's oddly pejorative lately. Yeah. Right? It's like it's become more fashionable to be like, oh, yeah, well, you got to be tougher on Bill. Like, okay, obviously you can question certain things that yeah. he does, but, I mean, there is this part where he's been a very successful coach over the last 20-odd years. A lot of things that we didn't think would work have worked. So. And he brings 48 years of experience to this, so – it's not like you're you're relying on this defense only short term. You know Robert Sala. If he were doing this in New York, you'd be like, wait a minute, he's a defensive guy. He's pretty young. He hasn't been through a lot. No, no, no. If this fails or even starts to fail, you do have some sort of Bill Belichick to fall back on. Although Christian Fourier has termed that stupid too. If you if you end up with Bill calling the plays and running the offense, but the the Patriots offense, the coaching staff, the play calling is going to remain a topic not only in August but well into September and October until they find some level, till they level out either really good, really bad, somewhere in the middle, Mac Jones, however the season starts to pan out. That was Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. We appreciate him joining the show. This is Fitzy and Hart. We are at Fenway Park, and we will get back to some Red Sox chatter as we continue to try to delve through Whatever this end of season is, the sprint that isn't for Alex Cora's team as they stumbled last night to the Yankees 3-2 in a losing effort. We will continue to sprinkle in some Patriots talk because football season is upon us. And with the way the Red Sox are playing, some people want to turn the, the page to the football season even quicker than they might normally. It's 617-779-7937 if you want to join the chatter. He is Kyrie Thompson. I'm Andy Hart. This is Fitzy and Hart on WEEI. Fitzy and Hart here at Fenway Park in the Ford Clubhouse Studios. And we are talking Patriots for a little bit. We just spoke with Doug Kide, formerly of Nesson, now of Pro Football Focus. And 
He had an interesting comment where he said he had even, you know, maybe got the feeling that a trade of Nelson Aguilar might be imminent um, a week ago, I think he said, or not too long ago. And then he looked into it, and that wasn't necessarily uh, coming to fruition through his sources. But this Nelson Aguilar trade is interesting to me because I don't really get it. I don't know why anybody would trade for Nelson Aguilar and his salary. Now, we can get into the, as Doug said, Patriots could give him a signing bonus, redo the contract, and his salary goes down, maybe becomes more palatable to another team. But you also have to remember, he's coming off a not very good season. Yep. Which came on the heels of a, of a good season. One of his better seasons where he averaged 18 point whatever per catch for the Raiders, was making plays down the field, but has always been kind of a career disappointment with the Eagles and in his NFL career in general. So, I, I, you know, you mentioned your Bears need receivers. But if I'm the Bears, would I want to bring in a Nelson Aguilar overpaid veteran? Is that where I am as a team? I just said to you during the break, if I'm the Bears, I'd be more interested in like Trey Nixon. Maybe I can catch lightning in a bottle and I develop a young guy with my young offense, my young quarterback. He's inexpensive. So it's interesting that I don't get it. It's interesting you bring that up because I actually think the Bears have been almost operating under Ryan Poles in, a, in an oddly Belichickian way. Where it's like they seem to know like this we're not competing this year like let we're we're not going to try to pretend so we're gonna get rid of all the bad contracts we're trading Khalil Mack we'll probably trade Robert Quinn during the season we're gonna cut you know uh, old expiring contracts and you know what we're going to do kind of the bare minimum at the receiver position to to uh, complement Justin Fields which is a choice. Uh, which is obviously not something that Patriots fans would accept here for Mac Jones. And trust me, that those situations are not equivalent in the level of talent they have here in Foxborough versus the talent they have in Chicago. But I think it's interesting because they would absolutely not do that. They would they would look at this like you know what we got. They they traded for Nikhil Harry, but that was a twenty that was a twenty twenty four like sixth round pick. Is it? The NFL equivalent of a bag of chips mm-hmm. is, is what, you know, that, that was what that trade went for. So, no, they're not going to take on a big contract for that because why? Because they're not trying to win. They're going to just see, you know what, let's see what we got in our guys, our undrafted free agents, or, yeah, the waiver cuts. You know, so if Trey Nixon doesn't make the team, it's like there's a solid chance, I think, that he'll probably end up on New England's practice squad again. But that's the kind of player they're going to be looking for. It's going to be waiver wire. It's not going to be, yeah, let's go ahead and trade for a $9, $10 million receiver right now. The thing with Aguilar is that I think he was disappointing in, in the beginning with Philadelphia because they were trying to do what the Patriots did with him last year, which is trying to treat him like an ex-receiver. He's not an ex-receiver. Then in his third season, they bumped him inside and they made him a Z and moved him all over the formation. Guess what? That was his best season up to, well, up to that point, right? And then he had the season in Oakland where he broke out and he was you know, kind of moved all over the place. And he had a quarterback in Derek Carr who was finding him you know, every which way. But again, I think that pigeonholing him the way that they did last year, it wasn't, it wasn't his fault it was the lack of personnel that the Patriots had at wide receiver because they basically only had three guys that were worth anything. And so I said before the season started that Nelson Aguilar would probably benefit from this new arrangement with, with Devontae Parker, the Devontae Parker trade, and that they were moving him around during OTAs and training camp and that it looked better with him. It looked smoother. He looked more dynamic. And I feel like more than likely, if you can't find a trade partner, that's what you're going to be banking on. You know what? We got a useful player here. If somebody wants to trade for him in season because injuries happen, 
Sure, why not? If an injury happens to Devontae Parker or somebody else, well, we still have Nelson Aguilar. I, I just don't know that I see a cut coming. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I don't, I don't know what you're going to get on the open market. I don't see too many teams lining up to get him. And as you said, he may be more valuable to you to just keep. And maybe in this new offense, this new role, he, he may benefit you and have a little bit more opportunity to, to utilize his skills. And, you know, I think right now everybody's hot and bothered on the topic because Tyquan Thornton looks good. And it's like, well, Tyquan Thornton's a good second round pick. He's not making any money. Nelson Aguilar's making way too much money. He stunk for us last year. If we can move on from him, it's this, this like perfect storm scenario, except I'm not sure the reality is there of opportunities yeah. to trade him. Because, yes, you would love to trade $9 million salary. As you said, add to your coffers of cap space, right? Add to your – because they don't have enough money right now to, to sort of get through the season. I think the number they generally throw around, I've heard, is like between 9 and $10 million they need sort of cost of doing business. Yeah, yeah, and right now they're half that. They're not there, and if you trade a $9 million salary, that'd be great. Boom, there's my spending money. Ooh, I got even a little extra. Maybe I head toward the trade deadline with the opportunity to bring on salary. I just, I just don't know how realistic an idea it is for Nelson Aguilar. And I would also ask you, because I thought he's looked good for the most part on the practice field. I thought he's had a good summer. Yep, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I can't get out of my mind, and I'm probably putting too much stock in a, it was a game simulation, but the tempo was very weird. Oh, yeah. That ball that hit him in the chest and bounced off his chest Ugly. for an interception, Ugly. I can't get that out of my mind. I, I can't, it's like, you don't want to blacklist people, that whole idea that Brady would blackball people for like a single bad play as they're trying to learn the offense or make plays. That play Aguilar made on the game field was blackballable for me. It just, ugh. You know, it's like I feel like when you talk about outfielders, right, and and the ball goes up over your cap and you kind of figure out how to track it from there, I feel like when the ball goes up over Nelson Aguilar's helmet, there there are some problems. Yeah. You know, when he, when he's got to track it down the field, if you if you're hitting him in stride and you're and you're you're drilling a fastball right in right in between his face mask or down by the numbers or something something like that, it typically you don't have many issues with that. It's the downfield stuff, him having to adjust to things up over his head or out in front of him that have looked awkward since he got here, and that's why, like, I mean, the the theory of him being a downfield receiver is great, but in practice, it just doesn't seem like like something you can rely on him for. So I, I feel like, in a way, you almost have to use him as kind of a super slot sort of guy. That's what he's been good at. That's right. What he's been good at, and especially with what we've seen this summer with Tyquan Thornton, I would say has tracked the ball remarkably yes. well for a young player. There was that one catch where it was like right over the top, Jim Edmonds style center. Willie field. Mays at the polo yes. ground. Yes. Yeah. And then Devontae Parker, I think, has done a good job down the field, tracking the ball, yeah. fighting for the ball, That's his making game. some plays. That's his game. So when you have those two guys, sort of the comparison to Aguilar in that play on the game field is like, ooh, yeah, yeah maybe we better find a different way to get him the football. Uh, but Nelson Aguilar, we'll see. Will, will he be a Patriot this regular season? Is there a trade possibility on the horizon? I'm dubious, but Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus at least throws that possibility out there. This is Fitzy and Hart. We're live from Fenway Park talking Patriots, talking Red Sox. We'll continue the football talk because next hour, uh, around 1.20, we'll be joined by a friend of the show, NFL Network's Mike Giardi. We'll get a taste of what his thoughts are on the play calling and the Patriots and everything else. We'll also tap into his knowledge because he's been bouncing around this summer. I think he's been in Buffalo and New York and Baltimore. 
So we'll get a uh, little mix of the Northeast teams as we head toward the NFL season. But this is Fitzy and Hart. He's Kyrie Thompson filling in for Nick Fitzy Stevens. I'm Andy Hart, and we will be back after we pay the bills. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.